Hey church, we're in week three of our Advent series called Kingdom Christmas, where we have just gone through the genealogy in two weeks, and now we're gonna move on into verse 18 and following uh, to talk about the birth of Jesus. And the theme for this week is God is, <laughs> excuse me, is God with us out of Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And today we're gonna talk about sin. Now, I know that may not be your typical Christmas topic, but it's actually the quintessential Christmas topic. And today my hope is that you'd be freed more from your sin today than you were coming into this because essentially that's what Jesus came to do. And, and so the kingdom principle I wanna give you today is this. It's dwelling in your sin keeps God at a distance, but dwelling in your savior means God is with us. Dwelling in your sin keeps God at a distance, but dwelling in your Savior means God is with us. Okay? So we'll, let's, let's take that through this passage here, verse, starting in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ, that word there for birth is, again, it's the word Genesis. So here, we're talking about the Genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way, the, the beginning of Jesus Christ. Now, it seems like a weird word to use for, for Jesus, right? Didn't he, all, didn't he eternally exist? Wasn't he always in existence? Well, technically, no, but yes. So before you burn me at the stake, let me just explain this to you. Uh, so <clears throat> the Son of God has always existed. The Son of God is eternally existing. Jesus, the name uh, that we see Joseph and Mary were to give him, uh, is the human name, right, for Jesus, uh, sorry, for the Son of God in, as he takes human form. Uh, so Jesus, this is the beginning of Jesus. This is the beginning of the Messiah coming into and stepping into this world, right? So you have here the genesis of Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Christ, took place in this way. <clears throat> so, and it wasn't like great beginnings because here, here goes in verse 18. It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph and betrothal, betrothal back in that day was more than engagement. Okay, so... Sometimes we can say, oh, okay, they were just engaged. What's the big deal? Well, no, betrothal was a year-long period where she said she was going to marry him. He said he was going to marry her. And it's a year-long preparatory period towards marriage. Okay, so it's like breaking off a betrothal is <clears throat> equivalent to a divorce. Okay, so, um, and you, we're going to see that Moving, moving forward here. I mean, even think about these days when you have a fiance and, and uh, you have wedding plans, <clears throat> excuse me, and you have wedding plans and you have all that and one party breaks it off. It's a big deal. Like, you're talking about like down payments and bookings for the space and wedding invitations and family flying in, you know, all that stuff. Well, here, uh, it's even a bigger deal for a betrothal to be broken off. So, <clears throat> Mary 
had been betrothed to Joseph in verse 18. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I mean, just put yourself in Joseph's shoes and in Mary's shoes. Now, this, this, <clears throat> these next few verses are really kind of from Joseph's perspective, but even think in Mary's shoes, like she knows she's a virgin and yet she has a child, she's with child. Um, and she has to tell Joseph that, right? Like, hey, something that's never happened before in all of human history happened to me, a young girl from Nazareth of all places. And um, I learned about it through an angel visiting me, right? Like, it just sounds, it sounds ludicrous. Like, to us today, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a Christmas story. No, guys, it is, it sounds so unbelievable. Like, like I, I don't know how Joseph reacts the way he does, but think about, uh, now put yourself in his shoes. <clears throat> so she has to do that, but in his shoes, he has to try to accept that or... You're going to see, it says, And her husband Joseph, in verse 19, being a just man, being a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame. This, this word, unwilling to, this word, sorry, to put her to shame, is the same word that's used, uh, that Paul uses later to say that Jesus put to shame the enemy when he, when he conquered the enemy on the cross. Okay? So, this, it's used here. Joseph was unwilling to, to have this public, ignominious, shameful, dishonorable display of Mary. Right? He didn't want to put her to shame. So, being a just man, a righteous man, he resolved to, <clears throat> to divorce her quietly. But, in verse 20, as he considered these things, behold... Behold, whenever that happens in the scriptures, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. It's like a, a punch in the stomach, a slap in the face. It should wake you up. So, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So, Joseph has to hear it from an angel of the Lord in his dream. And he continues, he says, she'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That construction there, you see that a lot through uh, the Hebrew scriptures. You should call his name this for he's going to do this. Or you should call his name this for he was born out of your struggle or he was born out of your prayers or like Samuel. You'll call his name, his, his name will be Samuel for uh, Hannah's recognizing the Lord heard her prayers. Samuel means the, the Lord hears, right? So, <clears throat> so here the same thing, the same construction. She'll bear a son. You should call his name Jesus for he'll save his people from his sins. Now, <clears throat> for us, that's like, oh man, Jesus, right? But but imagine this, imagine an angel of the Lord appearing you, to you in a dream and saying, you shall call his name Chris. Or you shall call his name Dave. Right? That's, that's the equivalent. It's a, it's a very common name. All right? You should call his name Mike. Like, it's a very common name. There's, there's nothing really... 
there's nothing uncommon about using the name Jesus. It was a name that was used a lot uh, in that time, but also just go to Latin cultures today and it's used, it's used a lot. There's a lot of Jesuses, right? So um, it's, <clears throat> it's not, there's a reason it's a special name. Even in the Bible, it was used a lot. <clears throat> but what's significant about its placement here? Well, it's, it's what he says after, what the scriptures say afterwards, what the angel of the Lord says. It says, his name shall be called Jesus for or because he will save his people from their sins. That is the crux of the Christmas story. It's qu- this topic about sin is quintessentially Christmas, and, and we don't really talk about it a whole lot around Christmas, but it, it, according to the angel of the Lord, it's one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason, Jesus has come. Right? It's why Jesus comes. So the name Jesus means he will save. It means God will save, right? It's pointing to God. He will save. It's used at other places in, in the Hebrew scriptures, like I said, in the Old Testament. So Joshua is a, is a rendition of the name Jesus, Yeshua, right? Joshua, he will save. And in, and in Joshua's case, way back in the sixth book of the Bible, <clears throat> Joshua saves uh, the people of Israel, right? In conquering the land and he establishes, he helps establish this nation of Israel in the promised land, right? He becomes the, the agent who fulfills the promise. So he will save Israel from their oppressors in a sense, right? And, and he does that. Isaiah is also a rendition. It's a theophoric name is what they call it. It's a rendition of the name Jesus. He will save. So Isaiah, he will save. Isaiah is this prophet who's prophesying the, the, the coming exile, the coming doom, the coming deportation, the coming destruction. And so Isaiah is like a, is, is like a he will save from, from oppressors as well. And then Hosea. Hosea is also a theophoric name. It's a rendition of, of the name Jesus. And Hosea was also a prophet who, who um, prophesied against the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. So it's almost like a, he will save you from your unfaithfulness because God is still faithful. And Hosea embodies that and is saying, God is still going to save you. Isaiah is embodying that and saying, God is still going to save you. And then another lesser known is Joshua, the high priest, uh, who is, is one of the people who goes back to the land after exile, after the deportation, you know, what we read in the genealogy. He, and, and he goes back and he's the high priest and he helps rebuild the temple. And so it's almost like uh, Joshua, <clears throat> he will save by rebuilding the temple. Now here we have Jesus and it says he will save. Literally, that's what his name means. He will save. So if we were to just translate it instead of transliterate it, we would be reading, she will bear a son, you should call his name, he will save. For he will save his people from their sins. Right? So every time you hear the, the name Jesus in the Hebrew language, you're saying he will save. He will save. It's a reminder of who God is. It's a reminder of, of what God is, is going to do. But it's also a reminder of what God is going to do. And this, this particular reference is, is a fulfillment of Psalm 130. So Psalm 130 verse, <clears throat> Psalm 130 verse 8 talks about this fulfillment of all the prophecies 
that are going to be fulfilled. All the prophecies in the Old Testament that are prophesying the coming Messiah, coming Christ, this is the one uh, that's, that uh, the angel of the Lord says, because Psalm 130 verse 8 says, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, from all his sin, right? So this is, this is in, this, in his name, there's a fulfillment of this. And here's the thing, guys. Back then, even today, we all want a Messiah to do certain things. Like, back then, and again, even today, we want a national liberator. Now, someone who's going to liberate the nation. You want uh, a vengeful rescuer, right? I mean, that's what, think about movies and, and comic books and superheroes today. It's all about, like, like uh, vengeance and, and making things right through, through power plays, you know, or uh, some, some of us want a Messiah to be a tolerant enabler, just to come alongside us and say, yeah, affirm, you're, you're doing what's right, just keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, back then too, and even today, uh, you want a Messiah to be a religious zealot, right? Someone who's just gonna take over and be authoritarian and, and, and lead and, 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 and do that religiously. And, um, and it, what's funny is here in Canada, we're probably like cringing at all, at all four of those. Uh, but except the tolerant enabler, uh, right? So maybe three of those and the tolerant enabler were like, yeah, he, that, that Messiah sounds good. Um, but back then, same thing. They're looking for this Messiah to do a certain thing. And the angel of the Lord doesn't say, the Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, and he's going to rescue you from these Romans. The Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, and he's going to get rid of your enemies. You know, the Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, and, and he's going to reestablish the theocracy. No, he says, he's going to save you from your sins. And you're like, well, it's not my sins I need saving from. It's the Romans. It's not my sins I need saving from. It's my boss at work who just doesn't appreciate my good work. It's not my sins I need saving from. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, like if anyone needs their sins, if anyone needs to save from their sins, it's those murderers. It's those, I mean, name your, name your criminal, right? It's, it's not me. I don't need saving from my sins. I need saving from my bank account, God. I need, I need money, right? I need you to liberate me from this economy, from this society. You know, it's not my sins I need saving from. And they were like that too. Here's the thing, though. Jesus is not going to conform to how this world sees its need for salvation. Jesus says, is coming, and he's coming, as he says in the Gospels, when he says, I'm, uh, repent for the, kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's coming as someone who's truly going to set the captives free. He's coming as someone who's truly going to re release you from oppression. He's coming as someone who is, yes, actually going to be a warrior of light against the darkness so the darkness flees. He's actually now, he is going to rebuild the temple. He is going to rebuild us and make us his temple, make us his holy place. He and in doing so, he will save us from our sins. He'll save us from oppression. He'll save us from 
the darkness that we tend to dwell in that distances us from God. He'll save us from our sadness. He'll save us from our mourning. He'll save us from, from those things which would distract us from following him, from hearing his voice and obeying. He came to save us from that which built a chasm between us and God. Jesus came to make peace, to reconcile us back to the Father, to reconcile us back to each other. He came to make peace for those things, Ephesians 2 says. And Jesus starts with our sin, because that's what causes this chasm in our souls. He starts with our sinful nature, the thing that we're just born into, right? And that's the thing that's going to liberate us truly. We all have our own circumstances. We all have our own things that we wish God would do, just like they did. We all, we all wish Jesus would do this thing and save us from this suffering or, or free us from, from um, that sickness or give us a better job or give us a job or give us that relationship or whatever the thing is that's gonna, that you think is going to make your life better. We all wish Jesus would do that, but he says, no. Wait, I want to start with your sin. Stop cleaning the outside of the cup. I want to start with the inside of the cup. I want to repair your broken heart. I want to restore the image of God in you. I want to make you beautiful again. I want to make you more valuable than you were. Jesus came to save us from our sin. That's God with us. So how? How does this work? Well, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, this is Isaiah 7, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name God with us. Again, that's a transliteration, not a translation. A translation would be, they shall call his name God with us. And it says, when Joseph woke from sleep, as he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name, he will save. So how does he do this? How does Jesus do this thing? How does he save us from our sin? How does he overcome the powers of darkness? How does he conquer as a suffering servant, as someone who dies on a cross? Well, he becomes a thing that makes us evil. He becomes the thing that, that built this chasm between us and God. And he shows us it's possible to overcome that thing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 5 says, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, so that through his righteousness, we, we, we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5 says he made us new creations in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. 
as we talked about, as we talked about before. And so he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, because now is the favorable time, he says. And so, Jesus took on this flesh, this sinful nature, this sinful flesh, and he swallowed it up in victory. He like, took it on and then overpowered it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's given you, if you are in Christ Jesus, that same power, that same authority over sin, that same victory that he's already accomplished on our behalf. He's given it to you. And so, like I said earlier, dwelling in your sin will always keep God at a distance. But as Isaiah 9 says, those who walked in darkness, those who dwelt in darkness, they've seen a great light. They've seen a great light. Your joy has the ability to be renewed. Your hope is sure and firm on Christ Jesus. Because yes, you were in darkness, but you're not supposed to stay there. That's going to dis, if you're in darkness, you're not in the light. And Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. He's a warrior of light. His, he's clothed in light. And if you're a child of light, you can't remain in the darkness. And God came to be with us. Jesus came to be with us. The Son of God is with us to have victory over that sin, over that sinful nature. And He's saving us. And so I want to take this next minute or two. Um, I just want to do a spiritual exercise with us as we anticipate the coming of Christ, as we anticipate Jesus and his birth. I want us to uh, just take this time to do the spiritual exercise. So here's the question for you. What sin are you dwelling in? What is dwelling in your heart right now? So I want you to take the next minute and I want you to just close your eyes and ask the Lord, what sin am I dwelling in? What is dwelling in my heart right now? Like, is it the Holy Spirit? Is it love and joy and peace? Or is it, is it something that's debilitating you? Is it sin? Is it, is it uh, some form of anger and bitterness? What is it that's dwelling in your heart right now? And if there's darkness there, I'm going to take this next minute. I want you to picture that darkness in your heart. And I want you to let the light of the Lord, God with us, swallow it up in victory. And I want you to lift your head afterwards, because Jesus is the lifter of our heads. And so take this next minute 
And just ask that question before the Lord. What are you dwelling in? What is dwelling in your heart? And then give it to the Lord. This is Isaiah 9, Matthew chapter 4, says in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 4, or 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, turn away from your old way of living, turn away from your sin, change your mind about that sin that you're in love with, change your mind about your unforgiving heart, change your mind about your anger, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Guys, the kingdom of heaven is close enough to touch. Jesus says it is in our midst, even more so now that, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, there's no place for darkness. There's no place. If you feel you're in the darkness, invite the Holy Spirit and ask Him to fill you, commit your life to Jesus, follow Him, and He will save you from your sins. Because He is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Jesus, he will save. You are Emmanuel, God with us. May we just feel your presence now. Just thank you for saving us from our sin. Something we may not even know we needed saving from. And so thank you for being with us, for taking on our flesh and showing us that it's possible to live a life full on in the Holy Spirit, hearing God the Father and obeying his voice, giving glory in all that we do. Make us a people of God like that, a church of God like that, for your glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen.